right. Okay, so we're going to get right into the word. I have 39 minutes and I'm going to take all of them. How many of you were here last week? All right. Did you do your homework? All right. I'm not going to ask you, you know, what, what I gave you for homework. I'm just going to trust that you did to praise the Lord. Some people look at like homework. What? We, we're not at school. No, but this is always school. When you come into the house of the Lord, you get into student mode, get into student mode. It's like, okay, what, what can I learn today? What can I learn today that'll take me into my next week? So make sure you're in student mode. So as we know here, we are recapping church. So I'm going to recap what we talked about last week, but only for a small portion. So we started out with Psalms 133 in verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And we're talking about maintaining relational harmony, maintaining relational peace. Peace is living in God's intended space. It's the absence of strife. And it's relational harmony. It's like singing. So we're going to go past that. But in this particular unity, in this peace, God commands those blessings. He commands blessings there. Supernatural involvement happens when we are in unity. And empowerment to prosper happens when we are in unity. And as I said last week, and Pastor said, biblical unity is not optional. It's a requirement for the blessings of God to flow in our lives Not just in our lives, our personal lives, but in our homes and in this ministry and in any other ministry you are involved in. You cannot enjoy life and experience the John 10, 10 life as God intended if you're in conflict with those that that God has called you to do life with. Say, I don't want to do life alone. And this is a phrase that we have. I want you to turn to one neighbor and say, I don't get to have a problem with you. And you don't get to have a problem with me. So last week we talked about temptation. How many of you remember Remember the three temptations? Okay, if you remember them, say them out. This is class. This is an awesome class, awesome class. And we talked about the devil being the tempter. And in 2 Corinthians 2 and 11, it says, don't be ignorant of the wiles and the devices of the devil. We have to know what he's doing. We have to know what he's planning. His job is to attack. His job is to manipulate. His job is to control and to sway us away from relational harmony with God. And I told you this last week. His job is not just to put the wrong stuff in our minds, but also to keep the right stuff out. And he has no new tricks, we found out. He takes the same stuff and wraps it in a different package. So we have to make sure that we have the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6, and that will help us to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we know that God is not the one that tempts us, and we found that in James 1, 13 to 16. So we talked about um, Adam and Eve being tempted with the three things. We talked about Jesus being tempted. The thing was, the devil was successful with Adam and Eve, right? So that's one, one for the devil right there. When he tried to tempt Jesus, he wasn't successful, right? So we have one and one. We got the devil one, that one. Jesus won this one. Now we are the tiebreakers. Say, I am the tiebreaker. So we're going to talk about how to break this tie, okay? One of the ways we can combat temptation and break this tie is to get this. I want you to open your ears. I want you to be receptive. 
I want you to listen real hard. Not listen for someone else. Oh, I wish my husband was here. Oh, I wish my wife was here. Because they sure need to hear this word. I want you today to take this word and soak it up for yourself, okay? But the way I want to talk about today to combat this temptation and to break this tie is to, whoo, it's a doozy. Get rid of self-centeredness. Get rid of selfishness. Those are interchangeable. We have to daily die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. I know it wouldn't be a lot of amens on this one. You know, as I was studying and preparing for this, I, I had to say ouch a couple of times. I'm like, really? That's self-centeredness? I didn't even think, you know, that was self-centeredness. Well, we're going to talk about it today. So we're going to talk about it today. Upper room, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 in the King James Version. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And this is the day that we're in. There's so much self-centeredness. There's so much selfishness. Men shall be, men and women and children, boys and girls shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Verse 3, without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. I looked up that incontinent. It's lacking self-restraint, uncontrolled. We see this all the time today, right? People don't have any self-control. No self-control. They're fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's one of the temptations. Having a form of godliness. Oh, hallelujah. Coming to church, sitting, and thinking you're getting the word. You're just sitting in one of these purple seats. Having a form of godliness. But get this, denying the power thereof. Because we know there is power in this word, right? But if we have a form of godliness, there's no power. The NLT says in that verse, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. So we have this power available to us to make us godly, but because we're acting religious, we reject it. Almost like we throw it out the window. We're sitting here, but we have rejected the power that could make us godly. From such, turn away. NLT says stay away from people like that. How many of you know some people like that? How many of you have been that person? We're all working. We, we haven't arrived. We're all working towards where God wants us to be, right? So selfishness and self-centered. What is it? Again, my dictionary. I'm going back to my dictionary, all right? It's devoted to or caring only for oneself. It's concerned primarily with one's own interests, benefits, welfare, regardless of others. I don't care about you. I'm only caring about what can I get for me. It's concerned solely or chiefly with oneself. It's to be engrossed in yourself. Egotistical. Independent. Selfish. Self-sufficient. <laughs> centered in yourself. Ooh, that picture one right. I gotta... Let me take another one. What are these called? Selfies. Selfies, yeah. 
Okay. Center in yourselves. Wanting what I want and disregarding what others want. Now, with this self-centeredness, you could take a stick. I want you to imagine a stick in the spirit. Just a regular stick. This stick is self-centeredness. Because I can, I can feel you already. It's like, I ain't self-centered. I ain't this. I ain't that. But I'm going to tell you just some ways that self-centeredness can be manifested in your life. So self-centeredness is like this stick. And there are many manifestations. Well, one end of this stick is pride. Oh, I ain't pride. I don't even, I don't even think of myself like that. Let's look at what pride is. It's inordinate self-esteem. An unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority and talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, reserve, and often in contempt of others. So you kind of look down at your nose like, oh, she ain't got what I got, so, you know, whatever. It's a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether as cherished in the mind. Ooh, so you can be proudful in your mind. You don't have to say it. You don't have to you know, act like it, but you can be proudful in your mind or as displaying and bearing or conduct. Proverbs 13 and 10 says this, only by pride cometh contention, which is strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. So we got this self-centered stick. One end is pride. Well, maybe you don't fit in that category. You don't think of yourself, you know, more highly than you ought to. You know, you don't look down your nose at others. But this other end is low self-esteem. What? Yes. Think about it. Selfishness. We're thinking about ourselves. So pride, we think we're better than ourselves. Low self-esteem, we think we're worse than others. Now, this first one hit me, because I used to always say this, shyness. I used to always say, you know, I'm shy, you know, I'm quiet, until I found out you are self-centered. What do shy people do? Why are they shy? They're worried about suffering embarrassment. Worried about what others will think of them. Oh, you know, maybe they think I'm too little. They think I'm too short. They think I don't know, you know, nothing. They think I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm up here preaching. You know, I'm a little shy. I'm a little nervous, you know, because they, they, what are they, how they looking at me? How they, how they thinking about me? That's shyness. Timidness. Timidness is an extreme form of pride. Constantly thinking about myself. Oh, I can't do it. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I, I can't do it. I can't, I can't, you know, I, maybe not have enough education. You know, maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe, you know, my mama might have called me dumb and I'm incubating this and I'm, I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, what are they going to think about me? I'm timid. People who won't talk, open up and talk. Fear of what people will think about me. Now, this is the other end. Now, we, we went to the extreme of pride on this left end, and we're going now to the extreme of low self-esteem on this right end here. Introverts. What? I looked up introverts, and it says a shy person characterized by concern primarily, listen, with his or her own thoughts and feelings. Introvert, to direct the mind or one's interest partly to things within the self. Now, we got these two ends. I want to go to the middle as well. Fear. Fear is in this middle. I couldn't operate in fear if I wasn't self-centered. 
What can people do? What can, I'm, I'm afraid of this, this man. Or I'm walking down the street. And, you know, we have these stereotypes of big black men. You know, if you're by yourself, you might think, you know, I got to look up and, you know, make sure I'm, I'm okay. Make sure he ain't doing this. But I look at all colors. It don't matter. I'm just looking at all colors. You know, you got to be wise in this day and time. But you fear, if I wasn't afraid of what he could do to me, I wouldn't have fear as I'm walking. Okay. Depression. Ooh. It's a state of feeling sad, dejected, anger, anxiety. It's a mood disorder marked especially by sadness, inactivity, difficulty in thinking and concentration, a significant increase or decrease in appetite and time spent sleeping, feelings of dejection and hopelessness, and sometimes suicidal tendencies. Now, we know, and I know, depression is something that people and Christians deal with sometimes. I'm not going to say all the times. But could it be that if we stop thinking of ourselves so much, and maybe what we've been through, that we won't fall into this trap called depression? The Bible says, put on the what, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Could it be that we are valuing ourselves and what we've been through more than we are valuing God and where he's trying to take us? We have to find our worth in our relationship with God. Anxiety. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Some of the synonyms for anxiety is worry, concern, apprehension, uneasiness, fearfulness, disquiet, inquietude, perturbation, agitation, angst, nervousness, tension. The informal is the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. This all in the dictionary. Butterflies in one's stomach, jitterness, twitchiness. Now, through these things... Only by pride comes contention and strife. Selfishness and self-centeredness, as we have just packed it onto this stick, is the root of pride. That's the root of pride. So the fruit of self-centeredness is pride. It begets contention and strife, and it tampers with our relational harmony, not just with God, but with others. So when, like I said, when you're prideful, you think you're better than anyone else. When you're shy, you think you're less than anyone else. When you're depressed, you're sad, you're dejected, and you're hopeless, that can't be good for any relationship. And when you're anxious, you worry about everything. Now, we talked about the enemy on on him being the tempter, but let's look at him. Let's look at what got him kicked out of heaven. So, Isaiah 14, 12 to 18, upper room in the King James Version. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, mighty though you were against the nations of the world? For you said to yourself, I will ascend and rule the angels. I will take the highest throne. I will preside on the mount of assembly far in the north. I will climb to the highest heaven and be like the most high. But instead, you will be brought down to the pit of hell, down to the lowest depths. Everyone that will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the 
earth and the kingdoms of this world? Can this be the one who destroyed the world and made it into shambles? Who demolished its greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? The kings of the nations lie in stately glory in their graves. But your body is thrown out like a broken branch. It lies in an open grave covered with the dead bodies of those slain in battle. It lies as a carcass in the road trampled and mangled by horses' hooves. I I had a different version. I wrote, you know, King James, but it might have been NLT, but you got me. (laughs) So the devil was kicked out of heaven because of self-centeredness. I this and I that, and it's all about me, and it's all about me. Well, I want to tell you this. When when I looked at this, I'm like, hmm. Holy Spirit brought back to me something that happened to me recently. So I'll be starting school in October to go. I'm going for my master's degree in human services counseling with uh, emphasis in marriage and family ministries. That was a lot to kind of remember. But, but I want to tell you this. I didn't say that for you to clap on that. I just want to tell you to give you the little preface on that. But I had a school essay that I had to do to get you know um, admitted into this um, school. So the school essay talked about, they give you 40 minutes to do this essay, and it, you don't have the question in advance. You have to, once you click, start, they give you the question, you do your research, all in 40 minutes. And you, you know, write as many words as you can in 40 minutes. So I, you know, went to this, and I'm like, okay. So I put the boys to bed. I think this was the night that Pastor Reggie had left. I figured, you know, he's gone. I wouldn't have to kind of deal with him and put the boys to bed so I can get this, you know, get this together. Because, you know, wives, we got to take care of our husbands. We can't be, you know, yeah, off to the side. Guys. But anyway, so I get here. I say, okay, I'm going to do this 40 minutes. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I get this, I write the essay, and the essay, I believe, was talking about our position as counselors and if you should give your personal opinion when you're counseling. So I said what I had to say, and they give you immediately test results. So how are they going to give me test results immediately? So it's a formula or something that they do. So I did it in like 39 minutes and like 48 seconds. So I had like 12 seconds to go, and I clicked submit. Two minutes, or no, I say like two seconds after, I got a score. So the score, highest score was six. So I got a five out of six. I was like, well, praise the Lord. You know, I haven't been to school. I, I finished, you know, my bachelor's degree in 2011. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good. So they not only give you the score, they also tell you why they gave you this score. So I'm looking up five to six. I'm, I'm okay with the five, five out of six, you know. But I didn't know if I had got a six out of six, I wouldn't have had to take this first class. That's another thing. But I'm going to tell you why I didn't. Why I didn't get, I believe why I didn't get this, this six out of six. So one of the reasons which brought me back to here about the devil being kicked out of heaven, saying, I, I, I. They, I think it was maybe like a whole bunch of times I said, I, in this essay. And according to the standards of writing, you're not supposed to use the word I all the time. So me thinking, you know, I'm grammatically correct. I'm like, well, I, you know, da 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 and I, da 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 and I, and I'm not thinking when I'm writing all of these I's. But when I see it, I'm like, wow. And now God brought, Holy Spirit brought it to my remembrance, like, you know, the devil got kicked out for I, I, I. And I'm like, so you, you're trying to tell me I'm self-centered even in my essay, Lord? What? I'm like, okay, I'm, you, you know I'm about to teach you about 
yourself saying this, so you're going to pull me out. You're going to call me out. I'm like, like, okay. So I have to think about it. How can you, somebody, maybe Anissa, tell me, how can you not say I so many times? I have to figure out how to not say I in these essays so many times so I can, you know, continue to do. I'll shoot you an email. I will. (laughs) But that just kind of reminded me. I'm so used to saying I, even as I'm talking, you hear me saying I, because everybody, you, like I said, we haven't, we haven't arrived. We're always making daily corrections. You know, when Holy Spirit breathes into your remembrance, all you can do is say, hey, I'm sorry, Lord, teach me how to make a correction and you move forward. But he brought that, he brought that to me. I'm like, wow. Ah, so, mm-hmm. so Adam and Eve, they love themselves more than God. They love themselves. When we talked about what happened to them, they got kicked out of the garden. And even put them swords there with fire so he made sure they weren't coming back. Now get this. The only way that we will ever be free fully of self-centeredness is to die. Because corpses, they don't respond when they're dead. You can kick them. You can spit on them. You can tell them they ugly. You know, they ain't no good. They're not going to respond. They're just going to lie there. And hopefully they got some good makeup on. Because, you know, sometimes you notice. Know, um, just, okay, I'm sorry. Lord. I'm sorry. Well, I don't know where they came from, but, um, <laughs> but I'm going to go past that. Because we are alive to ourselves and we don't die to ourselves daily, we respond because we care about what others think about us. We get our validation from other people instead of the one who created us. We cannot cast self out, like I said, unless we are one of those corpses. But we need, but we can continually work towards living a life that is centered in Christ instead of centered in ourselves. Now, we were born into selfishness, right? We were born into selfishness out of the fallen nature of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. But our parents were supposed to train us out of this selfishness. So you don't teach your children to be selfish, not to share their toys. You know, you don't teach them. It just comes natural. In the womb, if, if, hey, they're selfish in the womb before they even come out of here. If they are tired of one spot, oh, they move into another spot. It, women, they don't care if they're on your sciatic nerve or not. When they hit that sciatic nerve, whoop. I'm like, whoop. They don't care. They don't care if they're in a, in a comfortable position. They kick you and because they, they got to stretch their legs out. They're selfish, even in the womb. <laughs> Think about it. They, self, they don't care. They're they just trying to get there. They're just trying to straighten up and, you know, be comfortable in this because they already balled up. They're trying to straighten up. When you have them in labor for many, many, many hours, some of you. <laughs> They don't care about nothing else. You could have had them at midnight at the house with your midwife. And you are tired and you want to go to sleep, but you breastfeed and they don't care. You wake and wake you up at 1230 and be like, because ah, ah, they want that milk. Or, hey, I got a soil diaper. Ah, ah. I don't care if you didn't work all day or you tired. You can't even see straight. I want what I want when I want it. Now, get this. It's funny. These are babies, right? These are newborns. They cry when they want. Children sitting in church. They don't care if you're in church and you're not supposed to talk in church. You know, they little. I'm hungry. I want to play. I want to talk. I want to preach with the pastor.
pastor today. And they talk. We have some in here that preach with, preach with us. Selfish. They don't care. They don't care. And if you don't pay attention to them, what they going to do? They start screaming and talking to you loud like, you know you hear me. Now, you know when we at home, you do what I tell you to do. You know that. Now, come on. Don't start acting like that. Because we in church, right? Please. You know, you know how we do. Children. The job of a parent is to teach them that it's more blessed to give than to receive. I have to tell my boys all the time, it's, it's the job of the parents to teach them when, they, when people give them things. They don't have to do it. Say thank you. Thank you makes room for more. It's, but it's our job to tell them you lose your life and you find it. It's our job to tell our children, quit putting your needs first. You'll be more fulfilled by helping others than trying to get the help. But listen. The problem comes, that's a child, and we're supposed to train them up. But the problem comes when you are an adult brat. Ooh, and you never learn that there are more things important than you and what you feel. Self-centered parents raise self-centered children. Now, I'm going to give you an example here, and I see it all the times, and my boys tried this, but I kind of nipped in the bud. You see the temper tantrums in the grocery store? Oh, my goodness. Now, the children, you know, we know they're self-centered. But get this, the parents. Self-centered parents allow temper tantrums so they won't look bad. Or they try to stop the temper tantrum so they won't look bad. So little Jimmy acting out, you know, acting a fool because he wanted this Lego toy and you told him no. You told him before you went in the store, you weren't getting nothing. Okay, I tell my boy, before you get in the store, you aren't, you're not getting anything. But Jimmy comes in and acts a fool, cuts up all over the floor and kicking and screaming. And some of them, God forbid, hitting their parents. Ooh, just, it just does something to me when I see a child hitting their parents. I'm like, one of these will be on the floor. I know you're a mandated reporter, so you didn't hear that, okay? But, hey, I'm just saying. So, the self-centered parents will say, hey, take this toy. I'm going to get you this Lego, even though I told you no. Because they don't want to think about what everybody else thinking of them. So they looking like, oh, they think my little Jimmy acting up, so I'm going to um, just let him get what he want. Continuing to enforce that self-centered behavior. They give them a short-term solution to get what they want. It teaches the child that he or she can get what they want if they're willing to make a fool of themselves and remain self-centered and for the self-centered parent it works that's not good training it further reinforces that behavior and we are supposed to be training our children out of that now self-centered parents as i said raise self-centered children which leads to self-centered adults because they weren't trained now what the non-self-centered parent would do is take their child out to the car discipline them and come back in and finish shopping so, hey, I've, I've taken you outside, I've disciplined you, and you understand you can't have what you want when you want it. Now, with me, I didn't take him out to the car. I, where they, they act out, that's where they're going, I'm going to get him right there. So, I might not have hit him, I might have pinched them, pinch and twist. My, pinch and twist, they know about the pinch and twist. My cousin, oh my goodness, in church, you know, we were acting a fool, and my aunt, and she would look at, give us that look. And we, she would say, come here. She'd go, she'd go there, and she would pinch us and twist. And that's like the worst thing. And you get it right here. Can't nobody tell you bruised because it's under your clothes. 
but I pinch and twist to count, and that teaches them. It might hurt them. It might hurt me to pinch and twist, and because I know how it feels. But I am training them out of self-centeredness. Now, if we're not trained out of self-centeredness, we become adults, and we think the world revolves around us and us only. It leads to problems in relationships, not just marriage. You know, we're a marriage and family church, so not just marriage, but I do want to talk about marriage for a second. When one spouse doesn't get their way, I have done this, and I know you've done this. You might not want to say it, but I didn't get my way, so I pouted. Yes, like a little kid, I pouted, and my pouting was not to speak to him for a couple of days. Don't you touch me in this bed. You know how you be in the bed, you here, and I'm like this, like, he's asleep. I'm like, don't, don't even, you know, got that leg over as much as you can. Don't, don't touch me, don't touch me. Or if he says something to me, you know, hi, hi, just one word answers. That was me, I'm going to talk about me. That was me pouting as an adult, because I thought everything revolved around me. Cold shoulder. I gave him the cold shoulder. I didn't deal with him. I had a short fuse. He asked me, how you doing? I said, where you going to work? And normally it would be, oh, baby, I'm fine. You know, I'm going to work. You have a blessed day. I'm like, no, I'm fine. Can, can, I, walk, can I walk you to the train? No, I'm, I'm good. I got it. That is what we call an adult temper tantrum. How many of you had adult temper tantrums? Come on. Come on now. Come on, you've had adult temper tantrums. This is not the way to deal with your hurt or anything. And it doesn't solve any issues. But it is a way to keep you self-centered. In your friendships, you have a self-centered friend, okay? And you are not, he said he got one. <laughs> and you're not the one that's particularly self-centered. But, you know, they want to go to, you know, a certain restaurant. Or they want to go play at a certain playground. It's always about them. And when you don't do what they want to do, when you want to go to, you know, White Castle and they want to go to Home Run Inn and you don't want to go to Home Run Inn and you, you know, voice your opinion, they get mad. They get mad. Or you want to go to the movies, they want to go shopping. So if you don't go shopping, oh, it's going to hit the fan. They get mad and they start pouting because they couldn't have their way. But what if both friends were self-centered? Oh, what a relationship that would be. (laughs) So some of you, as you're thinking, it's like, well, I have some excuses on why I'm self-centered. I have some excuses of why the word is not working in my life. I have an excuse of why this particular word in Proverbs 13 and 10 about pride, I have an excuse why it doesn't apply to me. It was the way I was raised. It was my personality. You know, women, it was my time of the month. None of that matters. None of that can hold a candle to being self-centeredness, self-centered. Now, I, I um, listened to Joyce Meyer, and she, she had a little short story. I want to kind of read this. It's how to be miserable. Think about it. Think about yourself constantly. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually by the opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. And if it's not what you want to hear, get angry. Expect to be appreciated by everyone. Be suspicious, jealous, and envious. Be sensitive and easily offended. 
These are ways to be miserable. Never forget a criticism. Yeah, she told me I couldn't preach two, 20 years ago. I ain't forgot that. I'm still holding on to this 20 years ago. Trust nobody but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect at all times. Demand agreement with my own views on everything. Soak and feel sorry for myself if people are not grateful for what I have done for them. I'll say that one again. Soak and feel sorry for myself if people are not grateful for what I have done for them. And never forget how much you have done for other people. Think about it all the time, but always remember what they have failed to do for you. Shirk your duty. Seek at all times to entertain myself and to do as little as I possibly can for other people. All of this is self-centeredness, and it will cause you to live a life of misery. Well, what can I do to make continual adjustments to live a Christ-centered life instead of a self-centered life? Well, I'm glad you asked me, because I have some notes here, I'll tell you. We need to die to ourselves daily. I'm going to turn to Galatians 2 and 20. We need to make daily, hourly, minutely, secondly, millisecondly adjustments to the way that we do things. And when we do that, it will cause us to live a selfless life that God has called us to live. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The message said, indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. The life you see me living is not mine. But it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So no believer, young or old, can live a selfless life without constantly abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the word. For it is only through the word that our attitudes can be changed and molded towards unselfish behavior. In John 3.16 it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I believe they put so, so was put in the Bible to let you know how much. Because the Bible could have said God loved the world. But that God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. God is our ultimate example of being selfless. Jesus in Hebrews 12 and 2 is our example of being a selfless person. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the shame. He despised the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He said in Luke 23 and 34, even though they were doing him bad, they were spitting on him, talking about him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Jesus was selfless and he chose to bless those that were cursing him. They lied on him. They yelled, crucify him, crucify him. But he knew what he was born to do. He was born to die for us and not stay on this earth. He gave up his natural will for the will of the father. Now in Luke 22 and um, 42, actually the whole chapter, Luke 22, we won't go through there. I'll just paraphrase it. There was a lot going on there. You had the feast of the Passover in Luke chapter 22. You had the chief priests and scribes trying to kill Jesus so they were able to set to get Judas and Judas to rat Jesus out by giving him some money and then you have Peter and John were sent away by Jesus to go and find the room where they would have the last supper communion takes place as we just you know had communion that took place in Luke 22 Jesus started reading some of the disciples mail in between you know teaching he started reading their mail and telling them about their self-centeredness Judas was found out Jesus knew that he was going to betray him. The disciples started bickering about which one of them would end up to be the greatest. All in this happening. All this stuff is happening in here. They were self-centered in the face of Jesus speaking about his death. Peter was told that before the rooster crows, he will have denied knowing Jesus three times. Peter thought about himself instead of Jesus. He thought, hey, what are they going to think about me? Are they going to kill me because I know Jesus? Thinking about himself. He told the disciples that prophecy regarding his death will be fulfilled. He went to the Mount of Olives to pray. He told the disciples to pray that they not enter into temptation. But verse 42, this was the opportunity for Jesus to be self-centered. What? But he made a quick adjustment and stayed in the will of God. It says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup of suffering from me. But he switched it and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So just like Jesus, we have a choice just as he did on how we respond to situations. Our response is our responsibility. What other people do to us can't dictate our response. Like I told you, they did some awful things to Jesus. If somebody even think about they're going to spit on you, you like, uh-uh. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But he turned around and said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't take it personal. He knew what he was called here to do. Okay? So I want you to take, I have a minute left, and I have maybe like three, four more pages here, but we're not going to get through those. But I want you to take this teaching here, this 35-minute teaching, and just mull it over. Think about, how have I been self-centered? How have I not allowed Christ to live in me by living a self-centered life? And not only how have I allowed it or how have I been self-centered, but Lord, how, excuse me, but Lord, how can I get out of this? How can I get more into my word? Show me me so I can change and be who you called me to be. Are you ready to really be who God has called you to be? And self-centeredness is the one thing that will keep you off a course. It will keep you off course to being who God has called you to be. So if you can just, um, well, I don't want you to stand up yet because we have some other things to do before this. But I want you to think about it and to come back next week and, you know, with some examples or with some victories. Because we're not just here to be hearers of the word, right? 
We're here to be doers of the word. So as you um, have prepared yourselves and prepared your minds, just ask God, hey, I know I have some selfish tendencies, but help me to be a selfless person. Help me to always say, what would Jesus do? That's my time. Says zero. Praise God for the word.